Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Get your running shoes on. We're going. Hey, like, we're recording. Like Johnny Lightfoot over here. Yeah, we're back. Bleachers are open. We're on the road again, dude, still. So if you if you are actually listening to Bleacher Blums, you're obviously enjoying the, the, the competitive banter that we have on this podcast between myself, Jeff Blum, and then my good friend David Tuttle out there. And I have been on the West Coast. I think, I don't know if I've completely acclimated to the West Coast time, but I know that my face is not. And that's probably one of the more interesting things about, about moving to Texas, the humidity, the summers, everything like that is like, I think it's a more conducive to the allergy issues I have because being on the West Coast, you can hear it in my voice. I'm a little more nasally, uh, but I have been blowing my nose and sneezing ever since I've got to the West Coast. And now, in, now I'm in Arizona and, you know, the desert, the, the fine desert air and uh, the, the dry dry atmosphere has really gotten to me. But uh, the one good thing about being on the West Coast is I got to I got to hang out with Tuttle. I have yet to put out that selfie that we took. So, Tuttle, thank you for lunch. It was great seeing you in person and hanging out with you. What a blast it's been. And uh, we learned a lot about baseball in this first week. We'll talk about that soon. But uh, uh, it was great catching up with you, man. Always good seeing you. I totally agree, man. I, I, it's funny because I feel like I see you a lot and we catch up even more so than many of my friends that I grew up with. I mean, you and I talk every week, but uh, <laughs> it was really good to see you and, uh, and catch up and connect and, uh, you know, and just uh, like be in person. So next time we got to, you know, get out on the links and do something more exciting. I do... I do feel bad for producer Mark and you and I joked about it because, you know, we were just hanging out like good old buddies. I'm like, we should probably take a picture or something. <laughs> like, we got one like picture while the car, while the car was still moving. Like, oh, okay. You yeah. know, but I happened to we're wear amateurs at this. That's right. I happened to wear a dress shirt that had Houston Astros colors, which was oh, unintentional, was but, but really funny. And I will say this I mean, I know you're an ex professional player like myself, but, you know, 16 years in the big leagues. Seeing you in the lobby was hilarious because uh, Jeff was standing right behind Fromber Valdez, and <laughs> Jeff's you got him by about like six to eight inches and about twenty pounds. <laughs> like you, Jeff could still get out there. Blummer could get out there and play. I, I don't know if he could get on the bump, but uh, and then Fromber went out and dealt the next night. But uh, gosh, I thought it was funny, man. This little lefty pudgy guy, and he was uh, he was dealing. But um, anyway, yeah, it was really good to see it, and uh, you know. Hopefully next time you have a lot of relatives and friends out here, and I know your schedule was busy, but uh, get a yeah. couple meals next time would be great. No, it would be great. It would be great to get on the link, spend a little bit more time, uh, and know that you're busy with your job, and this is just our quote-unquote side hustle, but it's more enjoyment than anything. And uh, you brought up a really good point because being on the West Coast, obviously, I still have uh, both uh, my wife's parents and my parents have moved to Arizona um, I have a brother-in-law, sister-in-law that still live in California. My brother uh, still lives in California with his family. They were at the game on Sunday, but I didn't have a chance to see them in person, which is a little frustrating. But in in traveling for the first time in two years, the way that the timing of this whole thing has been amazing because it's been great to be able to reconnect. I got to go see my nephews play peewee football. They were <laughs> running around. You know, they come run off the field and giving them bear hugs. Uh, we got to hang out with them. I had a couple of beers with uh, Corey's brother. You know, we get along great. 
And, uh, you know, we start to reminisce. We start to, you know, talk about families and things like that, which was great. Her, her family actually, or her parents actually drove out from Lake Havasu to hang out. So I got to see them this weekend. And then yesterday, the day off in Arizona, I got to see my mom and my stepdad, spend the day with them. But all the while, this is all happening, and I'm, I'm talking about how great it is to see family and friends. My wife, I'm getting texts from my wife, and I'm getting calls from my wife going, I've got to get the taxes together. I've got to get this. She spent like you know three hours in the office yesterday trying to wrangle everything up. So as I'm on this glory tour of family and friends, she, she is toiling in the office. So that that's the balance and I don't know, you know, I wonder if you remember any of this. That's the balance. And you've traveled for jobs too, but that's the balance of being a ball player, uh, a father, and a husband all at the same time. So God bless the women of baseball because they actually run the show while we get to go run around and and have fun and play the game yet still providing. But at the same time, the women are doing a bulk of the work. Well, they are. And and I think, you know, you hit on two things. One is when you first say that, I, I like that. Um, I don't know. There's there's comfort in numbers, right? I just feel like mm-hmm. a lot of people, specifically in a, in a, in a job where the public knows you, um, you know, it's unfortunate you, you just got to give your nephews a sup from the, you know, from the press box or your your uh, nieces, yeah, you sorry, saw your that. brother and stuff. No, I'm just saying because they were like, hey, because uh, you couldn't see him because you guys had getaway day on Sunday. But but in general, like you said, it's uh, you are working, you're doing your job, you're providing for the family. But um, I don't know, it just makes me feel, it gives me the warm fuzzies to know that I'm not the only one getting um, railed against when I'm traveling or something is going on and yeah. you're not able to it ain't easy, man. No, it ain't easy. And, and, and I think we, we talked about that on this podcast a bunch from, from day one. I mean, we're almost at 170 podcasts here over the last three years. And I mean, this is about family life and, you know, guys that did play ball and do play ball and still work around it. And it's a passion for us, but really about raising a family, and I think, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of reality TVs come to light. And I think there are things that we don't always peel the curtain back on. But I, I do appreciate the insight into your marriage, which sounds a lot like my marriage and family life, which is the kids are getting older, they're responsible. But, uh, you know, we do provide this, uh, hopefully this foundation and this um, this kind of this, uh, I don't know, whatever it is, whether it be a sounding board for our wife or being a rock for her. Um, you know, you're going to have to deal with some, <laughs> you're probably going to have to, the, the honeydew list is going to be really long when you get home and that's what normal human beings deal with. And I think it's good to share. Yeah, it is. And there's a lot of other people in other jobs that are traveling just as much that have to deal with the same situation. So I agree with you and I appreciate, you know, the solidarity of the fraternity of male athletes out there and traveling, right. uh, traveling businesses. But, uh, yeah, it ain't easy sometimes, and I don't always have the right answers when I'm texting back. All I just try and do is just text back. Like if if there are husbands listening who travel, the one thing I can say is try and be as positive and as uplifting as you possibly can. You know, I just text her back. I'm like, I know it's a pain in the ass. I know you're doing a great job. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Um, you're doing a phenomenal job, and you know that foot massage and bottle of wine, or you know, will be happening when I get home. So. Yeah. 
uh, to Corey Blum, I greatly appreciate you and love you. I don't even know if she listens to this. I know my mom does. You know, that was the other cool thing about visiting with my mom is my mom's giving me updates on the podcast because she's just like your mom, Tuttle. Just, yep. She's like, you know that episode? That was so great what you guys said. You guys have such a good feel for what's going on. I'm like, thanks, mom. Yep, yeah, my mom. Hey, your mom can always your mom can always be the uplifting one. But I, but I Dude, just to, sorry to jump in, but I will say no, with do Corey. It. Corey and Addie, the same thing. I mean, they don't necessarily listen, but I think that's all you can do. And we've all been there, but there are times when I'm looking at the phone going, you know, I haven't talked to my wife today. I should call her. And I'm like, nah, I'm not going to call her. Because <laughs> the last time she called, like, because then they'll give you all the stuff. You start so when thinking they about call- the timing of it. You're like, mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'll wait till they call me, and then when they call you, then you just have a positive, like you know, a, you know, like I said, yeah. be the rock that you're supposed to be for the family, and you know, shed a positive light on it. And honestly, like you said, it would be different if you were out doing like a tour of the West Coast and the golf courses, but you are working and you're getting to call baseball games, which is the first thing, uh, probably the first trip in what two years? Two years, yeah. We got to go into Anaheim. It was so great. And again, if you're if you're listening to this, you can get to real or get to David Tuttle at Real David Tuttle on Instagram and Twitter, and of course myself Blummer twenty seven on both uh, Instagram and Twitter, and of course you got to check out our YouTube channel because I've got a pretty kick ass hat on right now. It's a camouflage Houston open hat, and Tuttle went old school with the bleacher Blums lid. So uh, I actually see some friends and uh, some fans. Those are floating around some of the stadiums, and they're floating around on Instagram still. So make sure you go check out uh, Ram Shirts. They do a great job for us. Pick up all our swag. And they've also provided a really good producer for us who is uh, who is making <laughs> things happen on this podcast and making us sound much better than we actually do. So we appreciate Ram Shirts and Mark Ramos and everything they do. Uh, Bleacherblums.com is also a great place to go check out the swag and maybe pick up a T-shirt or two for yourself. And uh, we just appreciate having you here. But it has been a fun week. You know, getting into the stadiums, you know, it was one thing. And there's always that that excitement when you get in a big league stadium anyways. But being in another stadium other than Minute Maid Park for the last two years was awesome. And one of the things is, you know, reconnecting with Mark Gubaza, the color analyst for the Los Angeles Angels, uh, catching up with him, hearing what's going on with him, his family, his ball club, getting all the information we need. But then there were ushers. You know, there's there's certain people around these ballparks that we become accustomed to, especially on the West Coast because of the division we're in. And, uh, you know, there was a certain guy that usually greeted us at the media dining. He wasn't there. So immediately your thought is, oh my gosh, is he still around? Did he get fired? Is he is he okay? You know, what's going on? And sure enough, that second day he comes, he's working a different section, comes into the booth and he's just all, you know, happy, smiling, bro-hugging, you know, high-fiving and catching up on things. So it was a lot of fun to get back in the stadium and see things like that that were a lot of fun. Uh, unfortunately it's not as easy to get people into the booth. Cause usually when we're on that West coast, I'd have Tuttle and his girls up there and we'd hang out in the booth, my family and things like that. But it was great, great to reconnect and then actually see the game and feel the game in person was incredible. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I do visit you in the booth, I, I do remember the, you know, it's like clubbies, right? I mean, the clubhouse guys, the, the vendors, yeah. the people that are always taking care of you. Like it's a great I mean, analogy. Yeah. Yeah, well, you, I mean, you've talked about on the podcast before, the, the security guy that got your home run ball in the World Series, like things like yep. that. These are people that you see day in, day out, greenskeepers, uh, greenskeepers, like I got masters on the brain, <laughs> the groundskeepers for the field, but, you know, hopefully everybody can dig that. But um, anyway, you, you, you know, you know, these are people that are, 
probably more integral in your life when you have a, a, a traveling circus um, and a traveling kind of career than, than you, you know, anyway, they're, they're more important than you would think. And when you get to see them, that's the part, like you said, we yeah. talked about emotion and feelings last time. Like that's the part that makes it feel normal and regular and exciting. Yeah, to your point, it's it's kind of that home away from home. And these people have really done a good job of welcoming us in. You know, they're not – the people that work underneath, you know, fans are going to be fanatical. We talk about it all the time. You know, fan is short for fanatical. So they're going to have their opinions of of our organization. But what's been great is that the, the – you know, when we go into these ballparks, the ushers, security, everybody that's underneath treats us like gold. They're like, so great to see you. So awesome to have you back on the road. So there's no there's no judgment there. It's just welcome back. It's good yeah. to see you. And it is. it becomes that home away from home that really kind of welcomes us in. But that first week of baseball got off to an electric start. There were a couple of things I wanted to hit on, uh, you know, maybe around the league. And I wanted to talk to Tuttle a little bit about a phrase that we hear early in the season in in April because this the way the season has is started with the lockout and kind of the compression of the season and they're going to play all 162 but I still feel like everybody's trying to sprint out of the box to to establish a good start to the season because of the shortened spring training so I want to ask Tuttle about that a little bit later we've got players of the week this week that have been announced in the uh, American League and National League. I want to talk a little bit about that because there's an Astro uh, a guy who uh, got picked up player of the week, Alex Bregman. Um, I have an opinion on the Angels that is going to be polar opposite of what you've heard Joe Madden say. <laughs> and then uh, I want to. there's another couple of situations that happened between the Mets and Nationals and then the Cubs and the Brewers. And uh, let's just start real quick with the Astros. I thought what they did was fantastic. I don't know how much you got to watch because you get blacked out with these stupid, idiotic, dumbass, freaking foolish blackout restrictions. Uh, you know, I think they should be lifted completely. If you want to get fans to watch games, lift the blackout, open it up. People are paying money to get on the app and watch MLB.tv. Pick your announcers. Pick your pick who you want to watch. For the love of God, let fans watch the game of baseball. It drives me nuts. But did you have a chance to watch anything? I know that you're you're adamant about uh, catching up on information, but you're in that blackout situation, man. It sucks. Yeah, you know, to be honest, I watched a little more Red Sox Yankees than I did because that that was on uh, you know on the national broadcast. Um, yeah, you get I, inundated with that. Yeah, and but I did watch a little of the Angel, or you know, I guess I mostly listened to the Angels uh, Houston broadcast on okay. uh, on. Uh, XM Sirius XM. So I got to hear. Is it Sparky That's and good. Robert Ford? Is that who's on there? Oh, even better. So you choose. You listen to the Astros yeah, yeah. radio. Yes, you they're can good. listen to Astros. Yeah, they're really radio. good. Yeah, they're great. So I mean, obviously colleagues of yours, but yeah. So I guess my imagination had to uh, kind of feel what was going on there. But I think I got a pretty good take. And as you said, I mean, just being a former player, I think we can get a good sense of what's going on. But uh, yeah, it was a, yeah, you can. definitely a good first series for the Astros, and probably I think with the prognostications and how everything goes, maybe we thought the Angels be a little more competitive, but I certainly felt like, and we always do, as you mentioned, the Astros are, you know, a front runner for one of the top four teams in the American League. So Yeah. And they kind of jumped their way. I think that, you know, the power rankings that came out before the season started, you know, the Astros are down a little bit in some of these. And then all of a sudden, you know, they blow through the Angels winning three of four games in that in that opening series. And all of a sudden they vault back. And it's just it the vibe that I get around the Astros and around, you know, national media is, gosh, you know, I really wish the Astros, Astros would suck. And they don't. 
it's it's crazy how they continue to bounce back and continue to ignore what national media says. They continue to ignore what fans are yelling at them, and they go out there and win games. But you know, it's one thing to go out there and blast teams, but I really think it was the pitching that that did the job for the Astros, and it actually surprised me because you already mentioned Framber Valdez. He went six and two thirds innings, and for the starters in a four game series to accumulate twenty and two thirds innings pitched, and Tuttle can speak to this too. In a shortened spring, that really impressed me, but it showed me that they were efficient. They were they actually had command of their pitches because they weren't wild out of the zone, a lot of walks. They were in the zone forcing guys to swing, and they only gave up four earned runs in those 20 and two-thirds innings pitch. And what that does is it kind of pushes back into the bullpens to where you don't have to abuse those guys. And it was really amazing, to be honest, to watch them do that. But it started with Framber Valdez. JV surprised everybody and pitched his ass off for five innings, which I thought was great, touching 96. Um, but, you know, your opinion, talk a little bit about how great it is to have your starters this early in the season pushing later in the game. Well, absolutely. And I think it's funny because we know uh, pitchers are under a microscope even more so at the beginning of the <laughs> yeah. year. And the and the team that kind of piggybacks into the Astros was the Padres because they had both their starters go no hit, like six or Excellent seven innings. Point. But, but I think that that's either that the pitching's a little ahead, which is surprising because usually it's the other way around in terms of pitching maybe ahead. But you're in a normal season, in a normal spring, usually hitters blast out of the box because pitchers are kind of going through that dead arm phase or working through stuff. Yeah. Right. And you know, you can get into the pen sooner. Like, hey, this guy's going to get his work in. He's going to throw four or five innings because he's on an 80 to 90 to 100, maybe 100 pitch count, something like that. Yeah. Whereas, and this I think really solidifies your point about the efficiency with which they worked because if if Dusty Baker, you know, it doesn't matter if you're throwing up zeros or not. If Fromber's at 118 pitches, you know, in five innings or whatever, he's out. He's done, right? So oh, yeah. they were, no doubt. yeah, that was more pitch count than runs given up. And I think t it speaks Great to your point. point, which is those guys did a fantastic job and maybe we're just seeing a little bit of a trend that the uh, pitchers are a little bit ahead of the hitters. But I will say this too, and this isn't playing devil's advocate, but you mentioned that, hey, the power rankings Please at the do. beginning of the year, the um, the power rankings at the beginning of the year, the Astros are always a little down based on either national media or, hey, the teams, you know, we haven't seen them and they lost Carlos Correa and Bregman wasn't healthy last year. And, you know, all these little factors that you can kind of, like you said, kind of put them down a notch. The problem I have with, now jumping their power rankings back up, and you alluded to this earlier, is how good are the Angels anyway? I mean, like, you know, winning three out of four. <laughs> good point. And I mean that. Like, I mean, so it's like, all right, so do we still have a good, I mean, a question for you. Do we have a good handle on how good Houston's going to be, really? Or, you know, is are the Angels just not the team, you know, we know about Trout, we know about Otani, we know about Rendon. You have but, to look at you know. both sides. No, you've got to look at both sides because I, th I think you're right because there were expectations. Even between us, we talked about it in our preseason special that we had on opening day. You can still go back and listen to all those podcasts if you go to bleacherblums.com or you go to Apple Podcasts. They're still listed on there. And we talked about how in the West, the American League West, that, you know, Angels and Mariners, and I really felt truly – that the Angels had a, a powerful enough offense to go out there and compete and maybe frustrate some pitching staffs, but I did not see it, you know, even with, you know, the top of their order, Shohei to Mike Trout to Anthony Rendon, probably the top three best hitters in, all, in any lineup across the major leagues, and the Astros went out there and shut them down. It was amazing to watch them keep those three guys to four hits. Mike Trout is the only one that did any damage. He had a solo home run late in one ball game, uh, game three of that series. 
but I expected a little bit more out of that offense. You know, there's some scrappy guys down in the bottom part of that lineup that I think got overexposed. To your point about, you know, how the pitching staff was used, Joe Madden really kind of stuck to that 80 pitch count with his starters. But the difference was the way the Astros ha- handle their at-bats. They take a ton of pitches. They they foul off pitches. They they escalate that pitch count so quickly that you do get to the bullpen, and that's where we started to see some of the exposure and the weakness of the Angels is in that bullpen. Ricelli Iglesias, their closer, is one of the best in the league. But if you can't bridge that gap and get to him, you're going to have trouble winning ball games. Yeah, and so uh, you know, like I said, three four games is not does not a season make. We've talked about it, but it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I, I in the NFL, I don't like it. In the in Major League Baseball, I like it maybe even less. But the power rankings, you know, it's all a bunch of hogwash until we get, you know, mm-hmm. into the dog days of summer. I mean, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. Three out of four, that's great. I also, we you talked about how much I got to watch. I really don't like Otani at the top of the rotation. I know his stuff is electric, but I think because he's such an important part of the offense, this is where I think, you know, now I'm playing GM and now it's, you know, whatever, hindsight's yeah. 2020. 20. I like it. But Otani should be like a two or three starter. They should have a guy like a Verlander or a somebody like that that they can, you know, here's our frontline starter. This is our best lineup. You know, this is how we're going to win the World Series. You got, you know, Justin Verlander, you know, and then Otani's like your three hole and he can throw 96, 97. But having him as your like opening day starter, um, you know, aside from revenue and excitement, I mean, obviously he <laughs> threw the ball decent, but yeah, they escalated his pitch count. I just think it's too much. It's too much on one guy's shoulders. Like baseball doesn't work that way. It's a team game, and we've talked about pitching and defense. So I think when you're built for the long haul, I just think they're a little flip-flopped in their pitching. And I totally agree with you that we know the way the game works now, bridging the gap to the closer. you got good starters and a closer, but if you can't get there, then the game's going to change. I think Tuttle actually hits on a great point because Shohei is a two-way player. There's already a humongous expectation on this guy. And he had an MVP year last year and had, I think, 23 starts. So you're, so to Tuttle's point, I'm trying to validate the fact that if you have an ace who is your primary number one pitcher, there's a potential to 30 to 35 starts. And that's exactly what you want. That's exactly what you need because there's no guarantee Shohei gets past that 23rd start. He's a 20 to 25 start guy. That leaves you 10 other starts where you're going to have to cover him at the top of your rotation. And I just don't know if that's feasible throughout the course of a season and it puts a lot of pressure on Shohei. I agree in that sense. It's actually a really good point. Thank you. And uh, let's hope that they, you know, let's hope that the season does bear itself out. And like I said, this is early in the season. We're excited about it. Baseball looks good. The Astros looked really good in that first series, but let's give it a month before we decide kind of who the teams are. Now, we did mention uh, last podcast in our preseason kind of call out, but the, uh, the Giants, I'm looking for good things. The Padres look good early, but these, you know, I mean, the, I think it's important, especially in a, in a um, division like the National League West or the American uh, League East, those two stronger divisions, that that first month actually does mean a lot. And if you can get a five game or 10 game, get some momentum, I think it means a little bit less in, uh, you know, for the Astros because of the division there. And we talked about the A's and the Angels and the, uh, and the Mariners. I think the Mariners might be pretty good, but they're inexperienced. So anyway, it'll be interesting to see. 
No, and that actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question after we go. We're gonna go to a sponsor's break here real quick. But that's gonna, there's a quote that goes around that I think needs some explaining. You touched on it just right then, but stay tuned after this word from our sponsors. The best way to learn a language: immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And we're back. Appreciate the sponsors having a word on our podcast. And with, you know, Tuttle teased the fact that, you know, April is an interesting month if you're a team that is competing. And we hear this quote a lot, and I get questions about this. So I'm hoping that maybe in this segment, we can talk a little bit about it and explain it a little bit further for the fans of Bleacher Blums. It starts out that you cannot win a championship in April, but you can lose a championship in April. And I think that's kind of what you hinted at when you started before the break is you were talking about some of these championship teams, they don't need to get off to electric starts, but if they get off to a bad start, they may not be able to gain the ground later in the season to make up for that rough start, right? Absolutely. I've heard that saying somewhere before. No, I mean, I think we're going to hear that. We're going to hear that probably for the next month and a half, but I I totally agree with you. I mean, you're the guy to ask about that because you've been on ball clubs like this before. I think what jumps to mind, and I don't have a lot of statistics in front of me, but, um, you know, somebody like the Phillies last year, remember we were talking about that. If Bryce Harper got the MVP, I thought, you know, maybe uh, Soto should have got the MVP, but they were both on kind of eh ho-hum teams but the Phillies they got themselves in a hole last year and I don't know if it was right in April or May but they got themselves in such a hole that it was just too hard to climb out and I think that you know that obviously makes the point of the quote so you want to kind of stay you either want to stay if your division's struggling you want to still you know you can be in third place but if everybody's you know within three games of each other you're all right after a month of playing yeah um or if you if somebody's trying to run away with it you just want to stay within you know five six games of that team if they're having a hot streak because i remember last year specifically the giants you know they went like on a 12 game win streak and it was like oh my god the giants and they never relented they never gave it up to the dodgers and Great the dodgers were kind of playing 500 ball the Dodgers went on a crazy streak. The Dodgers won 18 or 19 in a row, and they mm-hmm. could never overtake the, I think, as if, I, I don't know, memory serves. They got within a game or maybe half a game or maybe tied even at some point late in the year. Mm-hmm. But it was the 12 games at the beginning of the year that they were behind that makes the difference. So I I, I will just, you know, I guess I could defer to you. I mean, what what experiences have you had in regards to teams that you've been on when you've made it or when you haven't made it? And what was the, you know, what was the feeling around the clubhouse in terms of, you know, 
winning in April or not. Well, you know, I, and you know, we always say April, but I do believe, like you, you said previously, that I think it's the first two months that you're going to continue to to hear this theory. And I think it's like, you know, you want to break out. You if you can go on a run like Tuttle said, like the Giants did last year, where you just explode out of the gates and you get that huge lead, and then you can kind of coast out and figure out things and maintain, you know, a little bit of a great streak that you're on, but. I think if you it's that 500 if you can play 500 or better in those first 2 months I think you set yourself up for a great foundation to go out and try and win a championship or get into the playoffs and win that one of those wild cards you know there's going to be anomalies to every story I think it was the uh the 2005 Astros who who got off to a horrific start and all of a sudden just caught fire and exploded. But the fact is, is that they had to play exceptional baseball from that second half on in order to get into the playoffs. And I think that's what a lot of teams try to avoid is, oh my gosh, I hope we don't have to just, you know, destroy the second half to try and get into the playoffs. I think what a lot of teams want to do, and it's even, you know, this even goes down to an individual level. You know, Alex Bregman had a rough start, I think, in 2019. Eventually, you know, had to play lights out for the rest of the season to get MVP votes. In 2021, it was Kyle Tucker smashing the ball, but hit a buck 80 and eventually finished really strong. But when you get off to that slow start, it's so taxing on you mentally that you start to grind a little bit more and grind a little bit early. And I think the idea is, how do I push that grind a little bit later in the season? Because you'd like to get in a comfortable position and start cranking out numbers, cranking out wins, so that when you do get in that grind situation, it's not, oh my gosh, if we lose two games, we're out of it. It's if we lose two games, we'll be all right. We'll be able to battle back out of that that you know that June swoon or that you know that August where you're just kind of scuffling in the dog days. But a lot of it is you know you set the tone early and you don't want to be battling back the entire season. No, and I I think that I think there's a couple of things there. The one thing that stands out is exactly what you said. The pressure is less if you're playing more consistently, but it also gives you the buffer. I mean, you, I, the, like I said last year, I keep using, the, it, yeah. yeah, I feel like the Giants and the Dodgers, it came down neck and neck, and the Dodgers were honestly playing better baseball at the end of the year, and they showed that by beating, you know, the Giants uh, in the in the series, um, the National League West series. But I'm sorry, the National League uh, was that the Division Series? Yeah, before they it was got the Division to the, Series. Yeah, yeah. So in the Division Series, you could see the Dodgers were playing better baseball, but the Giants got themselves there on what they did early in the year, and I think it it'll let you mm-hmm. overcome some injuries. Yesterday, I was listening to sports talk, and they were talking about the the flop that was the Lakers out here this year because you know AD was hurt and um, LeBron was hurt, and somebody was kind of making excuses for them saying, you know, they won, you know, they couldn't even get to the playoff game. But then somebody pointed out, look, the Clippers, Paul George played two weeks. He missed 50 games, you know. Uh, Kawhi Leonard hasn't been there all year. The Warriors lost Steph Curry for 22 games. Draymond Green played only 40 games. Clay Thompson played only. So there is no excuse. There's no excuse. Like, you have to get your ducks in a row and you have to play. I mean, the Warriors won 55 games and those guys missed you know, two-thirds of the season or a third of the season. I think you think the same thing in baseball. It's 162 games. It's a long season. The Astros missed Bregman for quite a bit last year. He came back, and they were in in the mix. And I think that getting off to, as you said, almost better than 500, winning, you know, 500 series on the road, two out of three at home, three out of four at home, will put you in a good place, like you said, come June 1st when I think – whether the pressure mounts or not, when you start looking at these games, like, hey, every single game counts. 
I think that's a great way of putting it. So that's why it's paramount to get off to a great start. You brought up a guy in uh, Alex Bregman who, you know, scuffled a little bit last year, dealing with injuries, fought through injuries in the playoffs, but the, uh, went into the offseason, had wrist surgery, got his legs back under him. He changed his workout program, didn't bulk up as much, and started to do more baseball movements, more athletic movements. And I think we're starting to see the benefits of that because the American League Player of the Week was Alex Bregman. He went out there and put up a 429 batting average. The OPS was 1286, had two home runs, six RBIs, scored four runs. All of that is expected. But what I love to see from Alex Bregman is he made a couple of great plays to his left and made a couple of great plays moving in on the ball, charging on some slow rollers and made some great plays over to first base. So he he was even doing it on the defensive side, showing that maybe he is back to uh, being the old Alex Bregman from 2018-19. And that would really help the Astros get off to that electric start that we're seeing here, winning three out of four from the Angels. You got to love a fiery guy that's been injured or feels like he has something to prove. I mean, not that he ever oh gosh, rested yeah. on his laurels or did anything, you know, I mean, like you said, he was MVP votes in 19 and then COVID was 20 and then he was hurt in 21. So it's not like anybody was doubting him, but you know, after that big contract, I know he signed, I think it's like refreshing as an Astros fan for sure to see this guy come out, not just playing well, but also, you know, both offense and defense, but be a little hungry. And we've talked about that before. So great. Let's, you know, like keep riding the wave and you know that too. <laughs> he doesn't want to talk about it. Just show up and do your work every day and see if he can't win another player of the week. Yeah, no kidding. Just start piling those things up. And, you know, with the with the loss of Carlos Correa moving to Minnesota, you know, where you, you always ask yourself, where are we going to make up some of that production? And if Alex Bregman can be Alex Bregman, he's definitely going to make up some of that production. Uh, but Jeremy Payton has stepped up, did a great job, a couple of three hit games in that series. So he's going to have he's going to have the that series might be his season in a nutshell. It's going to be the 0 for 4, then it's going to be the 3 for 4. 0 for 4, 3 for 4. You know, this kid's going to, it's he's it's going to be a battle. He's going to figure it out, but obviously that electricity is in there. But there, if Alex is going well, you should be able to make up some of that production loss with Carlos Correa. Agreed. And we didn't talk about Jeremy Pena a whole lot, but I'm curious as an outsider, um, what you see from him. I mean, he's a mm -hmm. younger guy, but I'm telling you, you know this. I mean, you ended up turning into a utility guy, but you were, you know, a shortstop coming up. I mean, here's a guy who's basically a major league quality shortstop and he's filling the shoes. I, I, I liken it to having Reed Ryan on the podcast, right? I mean, here's Nolan Ryan's son. Like, how do you <laughs> create your own identity and how do you create your own? I mean, obviously, Jeremy Pena is not related to Carlos, but I mean, are we really expecting Jeremy Pena to be Carlos? I don't think so. And I think to your point, Alex Bregman, Michael Brantley, I mean, you know, uh, uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan, Jordan, I mean, yeah, you have these guys that are going to, like, if they step their game up just a, a hair and Jeremy Ooh. Pena fills in as a big league quality, high prospect shortstop, I don't think the Astros are going to... Um, suffer a whole lot and i do think it you know hopefully jeremy pena can handle the expectations because i think it's unfair to be like all right you got to be <laughs> carlos correa i mean that just you know I, I and i don't think people are doing that but i mean as outsiders you mentioned fan and fanatic or fanatical it's like hey he had a really good first series a couple three hit games and i think uh his defense i saw a couple really nice defensive plays i think they're going to be uh i think they're going to be all right if they continue on this on this mm -hmm. path 
No, I think you're right. You know, and I think, you know, uh, Jeremy Pena looks the part. He fits in. Uh, he, he's a quiet, humble guy that wants to go out there and work hard. So he's in, and, and like you said, he's surrounded by some very, very good hitters. So the expectation at the plate is just go do what you can. Make the adjustments, uh, you know, ha have those glorious moments of driving the baseball, and then you're going to have some of those downtimes. But don't expect that I'm going to bench you after 0 for 4s. You're going to continue to be my shortstop, and that's where you develop a lot of confidence too, is knowing that you can fail a little bit, which is okay in life too, is to learn from some of those failures and move on. So I think he's in a great spot, like you said, surrounded by some good people. The only thing that I saw I mean, and this is like this is nitpicky. The only oh, thing that I nitpick, saw, please. <laughs> but this is the but that's why we're here, right? That's right. Um, the only thing that I saw and that I would you know that I'm sure he's already heard about is that the speed of the game, and this is something that Tuttle and I can talk about, at, you know, till we're dead in the face, but we can't ever relate it to fans because you say baseball and oh, it's a slow game. When that ball's put in play, this game is moving at a lightning quick speed. You have three or four seconds as an infielder to catch that baseball and throw it 120 feet to get the guy out. But that's where I think Jeremy Pena might need to speed up his internal clock a little bit on some of these ground balls, just so you make sure that you make the good throw, get the out, and give your first baseman a chance to make a play on your throw. And that that's something that you learn by experience and being in the arena making the plays, and he'll adjust accordingly. But that's the only thing I really saw in the first couple of games on some ground balls, kind of sat back a little bit and then tried to rely on his arm, and a couple of throws were in the dirt and wide. But if he starts getting his feet in a better position, obviously he'll he'll make up the time and, and uh, the game will slow down a little bit more. And I don't think it's nitpicking. I mean, this is his first big league series, essentially, as a starter. And, um, you know, like we already said, that he's filling uh, Carlos Correa's shoes. And if he was watching him, you know, play back and then fire the ball, then, you know, you have a, a couple of, uh, you know, you got to know yourself and know your game. And I think every sport gets that way, right? Tip of the spear. I mean, yes. as you creep up, I mean, everything's a smidge faster. You hear between college and the pros um, in every sport, whether it be basketball or football or baseball. Um, it just goes a little bit faster. Everybody is a little bit better, a little bit faster, and you got to think a little bit, um, you know, more on your feet, I guess. But uh, mm -hmm. but winning three out of four with a guy who's kind of learning, and obviously a couple <laughs> yeah. three hit games. I mean, Great I think, <laughs> yeah, the the world is the Astros' oyster at this point. And um, I wanted to ask you a question. We talked about, so I don't know if we talked about touching on this, but the uh, the Mets uh, series. Uh, I'm sorry, was it the Mets? With the yeah, with the brouhaha, the, the Mets, yeah, the Mets Nationals, yeah, there were two and then the fights already in the first week. Yeah. What the heck's going on? And then the Brewers. On, so, well, I was that's what so I was going to ask you. Angst out here. Well, teen <laughs> angst. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> young men angst, or you know, we got to show our worth. Um, there was something I saw. Is it Wilson Contreras? So that wasn't a, a throwdown, but he's been hit 15 times by the by whoever they played. I can't remember who that. Yeah, end. there's history. Brewers. There's some. Yeah, the Bre oh, it is the Brewers Cubs. So Brewers Cubs, and then that's why I said mm -hmm. Nationals Mets. So let's let's figure out what's going on there. I mean, this isn't the unwritten rule stuff, but 15 times that guy's been hit by the by the Brewers. He must have done something, you know, done somebody wrong one day or something. Yeah, I don't know what's going on over there, but you know, it, what is it? Uh, familiarity breeds contempt. And I think that's what's happening with what we're seeing in these schedules. You'll see this in every division where there will be one team where you're just like, these sons of bitches. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, I'm going to beat the hell out of them. Yeah. Uh, but there's already a rivalry and the Brewers are, I mean, uh, 
the Brewers are probably the best team in the Central, but the Cubs are kind of young, or they've turned young and maybe a little bit angry. But can, Wilson Contreras has been there a while with the Cubs catching for them, and he's he's not notorious, but he's had moments where he's kind of popped a home run, bat mm-hmm. flipped, and run around. He's a great catcher. I got no problem with it, but maybe there's a couple of times that uh, the Brewers have taken exception to that. But Typical hitter. I got no problem with his bat flipping and his antics. No, I got no problem with it. Yeah, I mean, shoot, I wish I would have been bat flip central, man. I, I just didn't hit enough. But, you know, as an opposing team, you're going, man, this guy's really getting in my craw, man. I can't. This guy's driving me nuts. We need to get this guy out. And, you know, as a pitcher, if a guy starts to get his arms extended, starts to drive the ball, guess what? I'm going to start trying to come in, tie him up, mm-hmm. jam him. And, a, hey, if a couple pitches get away and I hit the guy, who cares? It doesn't. It's nothing on me. But I think it's gotten to the point where now 15 times – yeah. Now you're going to be like, okay, this needs to stop. And how do I stop it other than trying to hit the ball? But you can't hit pitches that are being thrown at you. So now the only thing you have left to do is start drilling guys on the other side or wow. charge the mound and say, hey, th- these are the repercussions. I've had enough. But I think uh, you know brawls are different these days. And the art of taking care of business in that way has been altered a little bit too because I think – well, I think we know that players are a little more sensitive these days, too. Well, I appreciate you admitting that from a hitter's perspective. I thought it was funny. Oh, let's go to the Mets one. Um, was Who did the Mets play? Because I, I remember Buck. It was the Nationals. Out. It was the Nationals. I was right. Okay. Yeah. But that – so I, I was charged once in the minor leagues uh, in A-ball by a guy who played running back at UCLA. That was fun. Oh, dear God. But, uh, yeah, he was a little faster and bigger than I was. Um, but <laughs> but uh, my catcher helped me out a little bit, uh, former Arizona State uh, Sun Devil. As he should. As he should. But um, the weird thing is that there were like four or five or six hit batters the night before, um, more from us than them. Ooh. So it was one of those games. The next day was a day game, and you know I was pitching. I wasn't involved in the, the night before, and I don't remember if the other guy was. And a pitch got away. I mean, it got away. It didn't hit the guy Guilty in the by face. Association Tuttle. Yeah, but I think it was just one of those things where it was like we just do not want to tolerate any more hit. You know, we talk yes. about these unwritten rules. Like the guy got hit, and he's like, "Wait a second, this is like six hit batters and in seven innings. Like this is BS." Here he comes. But I think that. That's what I saw. Buck Showalter kind of started the altercation. He came out of the dugout first. He, he came out of the dugout first because of exactly that. And it didn't look like, I mean, again, you got to get your house in order. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't just start plunking guys and letting it go. But it yeah. did not look like a couple of those were intentional. It looked like you had a guy who was pretty clueless and letting the ball go. At a, you know, it slipped out of his hand, that kind of thing. We can blame the sticky stuff, right? The spider tack. But um Yeah, there's no more of that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, there's no more of that. And I can't I can't grip the ball and this is a you know, whatever. But but Buck Showalter basically came out saying, look, whether you're throwing at him intentionally or not, I mean, obviously none of these words came out while we were watching the lip reading, but <laughs> you're th- you gotta you gotta you gotta start throwing the ball over the plate like you're supposed to. Like you can't just keep launching the ball over here. And I thought that was an interesting take. I mean, because you don't see that a lot in the big leagues, right? That's the that's the tip of the spear we're talking about. As you creep up, most guys know what they're doing with the baseball. You know, every once in a while, a ball gets away. This isn't a consistent, oops, it got away. Oh, this happened. But man, Buck Showalter came out of the dugout first. Nobody charged. And then all of a sudden, it got, he got everybody riled up. But, you know, that's probably, we, you mentioned Joe Madden earlier, you know, as a player's manager. Um, Buck Showalter is just sticking up for his team and probably thought it was the right thing to do. But uh, anyway, I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that, where 
you could tell it wasn't intentional, but at at, at a certain mm-hmm. point, right, the 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 boiling point happens, right? You know, what's what's different too. Also, I mean, it was very similar back in the day. You know, it was like if you hit, uh, you know. When we, when back in my day, you know, I hate being that old man that says that, but you know, that's the only comparison I have because that's all I know, you know, and I'm watching the game and I appreciate the game now, but at the same time, you know, if you hit the four hole hitter in, you know, on some of the teams I was playing, guess who got hit on the other side, the four hole hitter, you know, it was an eye for an eye type thing. It wasn't just drill the next guy that, you know, the first leadoff guy. You know, it was, it was, there was the a purpose 180 behind. and you can get him out and you're like, wait a second, yeah. why am I drilling that guy? Like, why am I drilling steal that a base guy? and this guy's an make his life easy. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, and I think that's where Buck kind of got that point. I can't remember who they hit, but he's like, Hey man, you're starting to hit some of my big dogs. And it, you know, if you start hitting some of my big dogs, there's going to be repercussions on the other side. I don't know who, you know, you start throwing at Juan Soto. Obviously that's going to send a message to the nationals, but I think, you know, it's early in the season, cold weather, no sticky stuff, whatever the excuse was, but Buck wasn't having it. He's like, this needs to stop now because this is the first week of the season. We're going to play you 16 more times, and if I let this continue, my guys are going to be thrashed by the end of the season. That's just going to be miserable. So I think that he was trying to set the tone early, and he's new to the National League East too. He wants to say, hey, we're playing Buck baseball now. I'm not messing around. We're gonna. I'm going to protect my guys. We're going to go out there and compete. But I think that's probably the bigger thing now is, is watch who the teams hit. You know, it's, it's, you know, are they going to throw at Alex Bregman? Are they going to throw at a Shohei Otani, which I would imagine would cause a massive uproar if you hit a guy like Shohei Otani, but you definitely pick the guys that you're hitting in order to send that message. But I wish that when the message was sent, and this is probably where it's changed a little bit is when, you know, back on our, some of our teams, if a guy got hit and you knew why you got hit. You took the do- you took the dose, went to first, and it didn't happen anymore. It was over with. I don't think it stops anymore these days. I feel like it perpetuates almost. Yeah, it was done. It was done. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we try and do that in our house. We talked early on about our wives and marriage. It's yeah. like, look, you're going to have disagreements, but let's let's not carry it over. Let's not one-up each other. Let's it's like good for this- anybody. Yeah, right. It's almost like tit for tat, and then you're done. And I think that that's where a lot of the media often, and then, you know, we get lost in the... Uh, kind of the he said, he said thing. And honestly, mm-hmm. in good old baseball, back in my day, uh, good old baseball <laughs> stuff in, in circles, it was done. And I totally agree with you. And I think that's what's changed. And this week there was a story, um, we don't have to delve into it, but it re- relates to what you said when um, Ronald Acuna Jr. had a kind of a short answer about missing, uh, right? Who's the guy that went to uh, the Dodgers? Freddie Freeman. It's, Thank you. It escaped me. I apologize, folks. But but and I don't want to get into it. But what I was going to say is, when Acuna came up from Double A AA or Triple A, and he had the eye black and the glasses, and you know a bunch of things Change, going on. Yeah. yeah, basically the the veteran guys in the clubhouse said, "Hey, look, you know you got to earn your stripes up here. Let's like let's tone it down a little bit." And this is what you just said. This is the generational thing that I wanted to touch on relating to hitting people. The young guys sometimes, and we played with guys like that too. There's some guys like, I got, I'm, you know, I'm going to get mine. I'm getting up here and this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, that doesn't always fly in a clubhouse full of 25 at this point, 28 guys. And I think 
that can relate to all of these things across the game. And I'm sure Acuna and Acuna Jr. and Freddie Freeman got along fine as they went on, and that's kind of what Freddie said. But I could, I, you know, just reading between the lines, I was like, oh yeah, I know what happened. Like Acuna showed up, like he owned the place. Yeah, there was a moment, even though he and he's a superstar and he's a stud. There's no doubt. And they were like, hey, dude. Like, you know, we've been here a while, like, you know, pay your dues and this is going to happen. And, you know, some of the young guys don't take well to that. And I think that relates to, you know, hey, they hit me, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to one up them. And I think mm-hmm. it just kind of goes to the ego. And it's unfortunate because those unwritten rules should stand written rules and we should do, uh, you know, we should, we should be able to uh, kind of end it at that point. Yeah, everybody wants it to end because you start drilling guys, it doesn't do anybody any good. Next thing you know, yeah. you are clearing benches. Next thing you know, you're getting suspended for three or four days. You're missing starts, yeah. and you're taking money out of your pocket. And I think that's the idea of, ba- of Major League Baseball is we're going to come down hard on these situations to avoid that for obvious reasons. But, yeah, it, it, it was a little early in the season for me to have my eyes tuned to the TV <laughs> going, man, these guys are already charging each other? Jeez, you know, what the heck's going on in. around here? Spring yeah, training man. was spring training was too short. And and a last point on that is I really thought Buck was uh I mean, he's endearing himself to his team. And so whether whether it's strategic or not, I mean most things that these guys do are There's strategic. a little bit of that in there, yeah. Yeah. So the team is like, all right, we know this guy's got our back and he's gonna protect us regardless of what's going on. So all right. So um the Masters was last week. We missed our typical like lead in podcast to the Masters. We usually have our buddy John on and he uh He'll give us some insight. Um, I don't know if anybody picked... Well, Scotty Scheffler became the number one player in the world, winning three out of five tournaments before the Masters. He's the youngest... He's on a tear. The youngest and the quickest to win the Masters right after being named world number one. But uh, yeah, he's just on a tear. Just ride the wave. We talked about the momentum. But yeah. the, fun, the, the thing I wanted to bring up is no golf analysis or anything, but... Um, my daughter saw Cameron Smith on the TV and she's like, what is going on with that guy? And I heard this story. Somebody dresses Cameron Smith as a, for Halloween. I think he'd be a great cartoon character, but at the Australian. He um, looks like a cartoon character out there with that power mullet. Oh my God. And the mustache that kicks it in. But uh, <laughs> hole 12 got him just like it got Spieth that one year. And so God, that's the hole to do it. But but my point is, I was listening on the radio. I mentioned I was listening to Astros, uh, Sparks, and Ford on the radio, too, because I guess I was driving around a lot. I was not in front of my TV. And the first day, maybe it was Thursday or Friday after you and I had lunch, I was listening to them. They're like, that's a good shot by him. That's a good shot by him. Yep, that's a good shot. I'm like, him? <laughs> Who? Who they keep saying this is a good shot by him. And I had no idea what the heck they were talking about because I was on the radio. And then some right after him. Yeah, right. I was like, wow, him. That's great. And uh, obviously it was the South Korean Sung J M who who was in the in the mix, you know, for the first two mm-hmm. or three first days. Couple of days, yeah. And he's a fantastic golfer, but man, I just have never I haven't laughed so hard. I got you to laugh just now. Is they kept, you know, it was Mike Tarico like, Oh, that's a great shot by him. And I just thought, oh, what the heck is going on my radio? You're like, what so anyway, so if you didn't tune in like two hours earlier, you have no idea who they're talking about. You got to drop right. the Sung Jay in there. Yeah, once there's a, a lot while, of right? hymns. Are there women in this tournament? Yeah, because I think they're all <laughs> hymns, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, so I'm glad I got you to laugh. But that was my Masters moment of the week. I, I, uh, I mean, obviously the 18th hole with your Cal Berkeley buddy, right, Colin Marikawa, and. Um, Oh yeah, and uh, Rory McIlroy both holing out. I did watch that on TV. That was fantastic. But uh, you know, the Masters never fails to disappoint. I yeah. will say, 
and hopefully this will lead you into something. But, uh, you know, I like Tiger. I'm okay with it. I don't like how focused we are. I mean, maybe it was this way with Jack Nicholas, but, you know, I'm kind of over the Tiger bandwagon thing. Like, I, if, you know, even if he was in the mix, it's just, oh, look at him. He's limping. Oh, my God. Oh, yep. You could see the grimace on his face. It's like, oh, he's made this shot before. You're like, just treat everybody like that. I mean, Scheffler got kind of, you know, because he's just a mellow guy, he was back, you know, kind of, he was a backseat there. Um, some of the other guys were backseat. And it's like, if you're plus 11 at the Masters, I mean, I think one of the amateurs beat Tiger. It's like, let's, <laughs> let's, like, let's slow the roll. I know he's a fantastic golfer and he brought golf a long way. And when he is there, the the ratings are higher. But, you know, this wasn't meant to be a Tiger bash. I thought M was funny. But, uh, but man, you know, what are we really, are we waiting for Tiger to do some of this? You know? Hey, dude. It, it, so you're telling me that Scotty Scheffler needs to drive his car 85 miles an hour uh, down a hairpin turn and thrash his body to, in order to get cheered for? Yeah. I don't, I mean, I guess. That's what the Masters told us, right? That's that's that that's exactly what I was thinking too. I'm like, yeah. it's great he came back. I mean, I appreciate the work ethic and everything that, yeah. you know, he put in, and the obviously he's got the money to buy the best surgeons in the world and trainers and everybody to get him back in position to play, and obviously the dramatics of coming back to the Masters and the lore and the mystique of that. But why was why was he limping in the first place? Can we talk yeah. about this? Yeah. Do we just ignore that and say, "Oh my gosh, this guy's a warrior"? Why is he yeah. a warrior? Yeah. He's a warrior because he th- he he totaled a car. Yeah, I mean, thank yeah. God nobody else was in the car, else we'd be talking right. about something else. Right, exactly. But, which we are with some of the other guys. I I agree with you. I, I I'm not. Anyway, sorry, I'll let you go. No, it's good. That's that was a that was an interesting little tangent. I don't want to get too far into that either, but it's just like yeah. what are we cheering for? You know, right. should we cheer for the guy who actually had the mental fortitude to be the number 1 for the last 3 weeks and go yeah. to the most prestigious tournament major in all of golf and yeah. just throttle people? He right. throttled people. Think about what yeah. Scotty Scheffler did. Yep. He had such a big lead that he could four putt. Yep. Four putt. You and I don't four putt. No. And he four putted and still won by 3. Yeah. And he could have, we, that's what I was saying, he could have six-putted, which... Well, did you see uh, another Cal Berkeley bear, Max Hohen, did you see his tweet? Oh, yeah. He, he had a great yeah. tweet. He's like, oh, four-putt? Why don't you just six-putt this thing and really drive the point home that you had that huge lead on us and just <laughs> you make us look all look like idiots, you know? Why? Yeah. You're already halfway there. Homa's <laughs> tweets were great. I got to start following him because his tweets popped up. Great. I think you must follow him. He's hilarious. He said something about coming back for the weekend and then he bombed it on Friday. I guess he didn't make the <laughs> cut. Is that right? And he's like, oh, I hey. guess I'll have to come. You know, he, he he was trying to put himself out there to be like, all right, this is going to be something to distra- Nope, sorry. It just didn't work yeah, out. Just so, completely backfired. He's, he's, he's classic. He's hilarious. I got to start following him, Max Homa. There you go, another Berkeley Bear. But um, but yeah. So the M thing was funny. The Woods thing was a little overblown. I think, like you said, like most of these Olympic moments or these World Series or Super Bowl, let's get the backstory. We don't have to necessarily go. You know, was he texting? Was he passed out? Like seventy five, eighty on a road? It doesn't matter. One one of the announcers said it's pretty fantastic. I think the one of the greatest golfers of all time, top two, top three 
came back and was able to play in the Masters is a fantastic story. But let's just leave it at that, right? Like, it's a great story. Yeah. But we don't have to follow him around the golf course every day. and have him in every shot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, geez, if he didn't make the cut, I have a feeling like on Saturday and Sunday, they still would have been talking about him. Like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, limping around the course. Anyway, I felt like, personally, it diminished from the broadcast a little bit this year. There was a lot of great golf out there, and I know that There's most so people— There's so many good golfers. Yeah, man. Yeah. No, and, and that's— I think even Tiger would admit too. You know, he loves the attention, but at the same time, you got to recognize the, where the game of golf is at right now. And granted, it was because of what Tiger did and opening doors and playing the game as well as he did. There are some friggin' really good golfers out there that completely yep. get overlooked. And it was, you know, you'd have to tune in later to some highlight show to see what other guys did instead of actually yep. having the opportunity to have them cut to them. But yep. uh, yeah. The Masters was fun. It's always fun. It's amazing yeah. how much how how that tournament holds its mystique and tradition over the years. They do a great job. I totally agree. Yeah. And it was fun. It was a great week. It was good to see you. It was great to watch a little golf. Next time, hopefully, we can play a little golf. I, I know you were getting your sea legs back as well, and you're coming up <laughs> on, let's see, what, your two games, three games. You're at day 15 for an 18, 19-day roadie, are you not? Oh, man, yeah. I've, got, I've still got five more games to go Ooh. before I get off this road trip and get it back to Minute Maid Park, which I cannot wait. No. I, I'm dying to get back into Texas to see my family and, and the fans and, and start, you know, there's going to be ring ceremonies for the American League Championship. There's a... Uh, uh, shoot, we wore the jersey the other day, the uh, the City oh, Connect jersey. I want one the, of those jerseys. You look dude, good. You guys badass. look really good, man. Pretty yeah, sweet. Dude. I don't know where you're going to wear it, if you're going to wear that to the company softball <laughs> picnic, but uh, but you guys looked really good. I meant to point that out. I may just rock it at HEB every time I go to the supermarket and, and load up on groceries and just be like, <laughs> here he comes, just kind of strutting down the aisle. But yeah, those they did a good job on those things, man. They're sweet. All right, you good? I'm good, man. That's all I got, brother. I've got one beef. I'm gonna I'm all gonna right, finish with go. with a beef on the road. Now Let's that I'm it. I'm going to hotels and traveling beef on again, the road. Oh mm. damn! Let's Did rephrase that, that please. To? Yeah, I mean, I'm already like <laughs> go, trying to praise my wife. You're already road. in trouble. <laughs> okay, so I've got an issue yes. on the road. Not not. I don't have a, what a, man. All of a sudden, you got me flustered, nope. dude. Sorry. Okay. You have an issue. Yeah, I've, there's, I've got, I've noticed something when I'm on the road, and I don't know if I ever took it for granted earlier when I was traveling, but on this road trip, I've had a couple of situations where I've had the room cleaned and the towels replaced, and there's brand new towels. Have you ever gotten a brand new towel and it's like a slicker? It doesn't absorb any water. Yep. I don't understand why that is, or if they're glazed with something, or if there's something in the product or the shipping. It's- it's the uh, no no no. It's dryer sheets. Like I don't use dryer sheets at home. I learned that. If you use the dryer sheets, like the bounce sheets, if you chuck those in there, they they make it like a yeah. They give it a coating like your car. It's like waxing your car. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's where like you're I just like wipe the water off. It doesn't absorb <laughs> anything, and it's the most annoying thing ever because I don't feel like I'm dry and I can't get a grip on the towel. It's like falling out of my hand, and I'm like jabbing myself in places that don't need to be jabbed. Right. It's a chamois. And, <laughs> it's a sham. Yeah, the sham. Wow, man. I'm like, what am I? Did I just get out of the Olympic diving pool and I'm like just greasing myself off. What the hell's going on here? Seriously. Yeah. So I'm like, wash these things, number one, and don't give me these brand new towels. But yeah, if they come out and they're like slick, drives me nuts. I immediately chuck them out. So that's my uh, bougie hotel rant here early in the season. You should be thankful that you're actually, this is the post-COVID era. Yeah. Be grateful, would you? No, you're you're getting actually clean towels, and they'll come clean your service. We paid full price in uh, Palm Springs a couple of years ago at a soccer tournament, and got no. We were there two nights and got no. They were like they basically said no service. You could get no cleaning service until you left the room. Like Arr. yeah, 
Yeah, the beauty of COVID and all that stuff, but they're making the adjustment. That's that's the only issue I have. Issue, issue I have on the road. Yes. All right. I awesome. Not, I do not have beef on the road. All right. <laughs> um, cool. All right. Well, that's our podcast, man. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. I hope you like the uh, preseason uh, predictions. We're going to have to revisit our last episode, you know, maybe later in the year, probably, you know, July, August after the all-star break and see how we're all stacking up in terms of our predictions and how it's going. Let's not get too excited. We're only uh, one series into the year, but uh, baseball is back and it's awesome. And it's good to see you on the road, Blummer, and good to see you live and in person. So um, thank you for tuning into the Bleacher Blums podcast. As you know, we always like to thank our first responders, our military um, across the world, protecting our freedoms, uh, teachers, fire personnel, police officers. I mean, I guess those are all in the first responder category, but we're super thankful um, for all you do to, you know, allow us to do this podcast and uh, keep us safe. And, you know, like I said, the freedoms of America get overlooked sometimes, but we're really thankful. And um, if you're over the age of 45, please don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. And always get after it and believe it. 